today we are doing kind of more unique videos, so like a reaction slash discussion video on Methylene Blue. So we have had a podcast on Methylene Blue with Vance from Meraki Medicinal. Uh, just posted uh, a brief overview on YouTube, and coincidentally, the Chris Masterjohn, who's a very you know in depth nutritional thought leader, PhD in the space, in the health space, puts out a lot of good stuff. Uh, six days ago, I guess, posted a very in-depth overview on Methylene Blue with some controversial thoughts. So we have Ryan here. We thought it'd be a good idea to kind of react, go over this, share what we think, because I think it's there's some important nuance to discuss. And yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think we should just dive in. I say we just play the video and kind of now the first few minutes of the 10 minute version, I'll just sort of give a little synopsis. He covers a lot of different pathways and sort of like mechanisms that methylene blue takes. So we're probably gonna be skipping around a lot. But there are a few key uh, things that I want people to wait around for that we're going to discuss because I think Chris leaves quite a bit out. In fact, there are a few things that he leaves completely out, uh, citing some studies that he cites. So I think we should just play it and we'll sort of let it speak for itself and then we'll sort of chime in in between. Yeah, so he did this nice 10-minute overview and then he has a has a two-and-a-half-hour very in-depth video. Or if you subscribe to Substack, you can just download his 51-page PDF, which is much faster to read, which is what I did after watching this. So let's get into it and, yeah, we'll see what we think here. Show you, tell you what we think. Methylene blue was first synthesized from derivatives of coal tar in 1876 by German chemist Heinrich Kerr. The entry of methylene blue into medicine. So I might skip over some of this history. Um, and actually, if people want to know, if people want to know about the history stuff, we actually cover that. Tristan covers that in our own one-off part one video on yeah. methylene blue. Tristan does a good job of that. It's pretty fascinating. 150 years old almost. Of the era of modern pharmacology. Methylene blue is a redox reactive dye. It can gain two electrons or lose two electrons. This is the basis for the blue bottle experiment used in chemistry classes, where students are given an unknown mixture inside a glass bottle. You can shake the mixture and it will turn blue and you can let this mixture sit for 20 seconds and it will turn colorless. The contents of the bottle is sodium hydroxide, glucose, and methylene blue. The methylene blue oxidizes the glucose. In the process, the methylene blue becomes methylene white. So when the solution stands for 20 seconds, it becomes colorless. If you shake the bottle, you allow oxygen to come in. Oxygen oxidizes the methylene white to go back to methylene blue, and that makes the blue color reappear. Light energy can cause one electron to be added. It can also cause the formation I think that's really important, and Chris doesn't – well, he touches upon that briefly, that um, methylene blue can absorb a photon and, and get an increased – get reduced uh, and have an uh, increased charge. So that's important because I think a lot of the early biohackers, um, like Ben Greenfield, would, would tell you to take methylene blue and like go walk outside, which is, which is interesting, but I might play that back again methylene blue and that makes the blue color reappear light energy can cause one electron to be added it can also cause the formation 
of a one-electron oxidized version, the singlet methylene blue can be converted to the triplet methylene blue. It will turn resting oxygen into singlet oxygen. The semi-reduced radical will donate its one extra electron to molecular oxygen to generate superoxide. This together makes methylene blue and light a synergistic strongly oxidizing agent that is the basis for why methylene blue catalyzed phototherapy is effective against superficial infections with pathogens of all kinds and is even effective against tumors, especially in the skin. In the context of human physiology, methylene blue can oxidize or reduce many different targets. The ability of methylene blue to oxidize or reduce many targets means that methylene blue can- pause here again. I think these are two really, really great charts. And it's something that, you know, we're going to refer to Dr. Gonzalez Lima a lot here. He combines methylene blue and red light therapy or infrared light therapy. So that's, you know, important. But it's also important to know that it's, uh, it can donate, it can reduce agents and it can oxidize agents here. And this kind of gets into the foundation of like Chris's thesis of why he thinks methylene blue is not a good everyday supplement. But you can see here, you know, iron, uh, complex one, two, three, NADPH, NAD, like pretty much all of the um, components of the electron transport chain, as well as iron, which is important for oxygen transport in the hemoglobin. So, but it can do, it can reduce iron or it can oxidize iron. So that's important nuance there, I guess. Different targets. The ability of methylene blue to oxidize or reduce many targets means that methylene blue can rewire the mitochondrial respiratory chain in a number of different ways. For example, if there is a complex one block, methylene blue can transfer electrons from NADH to cytochrome C. If there's a complex three block, methylene blue can do the same thing. If there's a block at complex two, methylene blue will take electrons from FADH2 and will funnel them in to a site on the complex four or cytochrome oxidase proximal to the oxygen binding site. If there's a block at complex four, things get awfully rough. Half the electrons of NADH go through the normal route up to cytochrome C, but then they can't go any further. So the other half of the electrons are rerouted through methylene blue to molecular oxygen directly to form hydrogen peroxide. That hydrogen peroxide then moves over to cytochrome C, takes its electrons, and becomes water. When ATP synthase is blocked, methylene blue just converts all the molecular oxygen straight up into hydrogen peroxide. And while that may seem like it doesn't do any good, actually, it helps oxidize NADH to NAD+, which allows glycolysis to keep running and allows the citric acid cycle to keep running. In order to maximize ATP production from the respiratory chain, you need to use the whole thing. When you give methylene blue with no block in the respiratory chain, you get less ATP. When you give methylene blue, when there is a block in the respiratory chain, you get more ATP, but the decrease in ATP that you get when you short circuit a healthy respiratory chain is as large as the increase that you get when you short circuit a broken respiratory chain. Methylene blue so is- So in a pause there, this is kind of the foundation of like Chris's thesis onto why he's not a huge fan of it. And unfortunately, I couldn't get access to this study, but I got access to the other two studies that he also refers to as kind of backing up his, his point there. So we'll, uh, we'll table that. It's a bit nuanced and, and come back to that. The increase that you get when you short circuit a broken respiratory chain.
Methylene blue is used to treat methemoglobinemia, which is caused by iron being in too oxidized of a state in the hemoglobin molecule. It appears that the redox cycling of the hemoglobin molecule also allows methylene blue to help cyanide and hydrogen sulfide bind to hemoglobin, which in the case of poisoning is actually a good thing because it prevents those poisons from reaching the cell. Methylene blue in doses of 69 to 250 milligrams per day over the course of six to 15 months has been tested as a remedy for Alzheimer's disease in one phase two trial and two phase three trials all of which have failed in their primary endpoints. All three trials showed very high dropout rates. The primary complaints were gastrointestinal and urinary. However, the phase two trial, where the subjects were an average age of 74 instead of 70, showed that there was a 5.6-fold increase in the reported rate of injuries from falls. Animals were given the complex four inhibitor, sodium azide, the sodium azide caused amnesia, and methylene blue improved memory even above and beyond control rats. However, when they looked at the effects in other parts of the brain, methylene blue had a variety of effects that included a dramatic decrease in the functional connectivity of the visual motor loop. The visual motor loop is what connects your vision to what you do in your movements on an automatic basis. Hurting the visual motor loop, I would think, could be responsible for the 5.6-fold increase in injuries from falls in the phase two trial of methylene blue for Alzheimer's. Methylene blue is a monoamine oxidase A inhibitor. Okay, I'm gonna pause here because like he just basically covered the last two minutes. Um, I guess most of the negative side effects. I mean, he yeah. goes into it being an MAO inhibitor. You get serotonin syndrome if you're not careful, and serotonin. Uh, will make you feel good. So inherently, you don't really notice the beneficial energy effects because you're just going to feel good from serotonin buildup. So that's what he kind of goes into. But I want to go back first. Um, maybe first we'll talk about the Alzheimer's studies. Yeah, that'd be great. kind of like a minute five um, here. Uh, let's just play that back. Alzheimer's disease in 169 to 250 actually a good thing because it prevents those poisons from reaching the cell. Methylene blue in doses of 69 to 250 milligrams per day over the course of six to 15 months has been tested as a remedy for Alzheimer's disease in one phase two trial and two phase three trials, all of which have failed in their okay. primary endpoints. Lots to clear up here. First off, methylene blue was not used in these Alzheimer's studies. So Chris Master John, this is misinformation because methylene blue is not patentable. So these pharmaceutical companies that want to use it because it's showing beneficial effects of clearing tau proteins, which have been correlated as a downstream effect of Alzheimer's, that was not used. Methylene blue was not used. Hydromethylthionine, which actually let me pull up here, was yeah. what was actually used um let me share this tab are you saying that's basically like watered down is that what you were saying no it's not watered down from what i was researching just briefly is that it was this it's a stable reduced form so methylene oh. blue at methylene blue has a positive charge mm -hmm. um and my understanding is that it's a reduced form so maybe this would be stable or, or have a negative charge but inherently you're changing the molecular structure. This is not methylene blue. It's 
derived from methylene blue. And that way it's patentable and pharmaceutical companies can use it. And I remember listening to Dr. Gonzalez Lima, the methylene blue expert on this topic, on a podcast harping on this, that it's not methylene blue. So Mm. I just wanted to share that because I think that's extremely important. And it might be more similar to leucomethylene blue, which is methylene white, I believe, is kind of um, the reduced form of methylene blue. So here's an example of that. You can see the reduced form of methylene blue is, is, is typically uh, shown as, as leucomethylene blue. And that, be, that might be more similar to this hydromethylthionine. So anyway, that is not methylene blue. The other thing you said, which you mentioned to me, yep. was the dosage. 69 to 250 milligrams per day for 6 to 15 months straight. I mean, when you take methylene blue, Ryan, what do you? How much are you taking? It's probably like only a couple milligrams. Yeah, and it's not every day. Exactly. So I think those are two. Those are the three key points um, in this: is that they didn't actually use methylene blue; they used a reduced form, two hundred fifty milligrams a day. And it's funny because if you go and look at the results. The eight milligram, oh, the sorry, the placebo group, yeah. just so their pee would turn blue, so they didn't, you know, know right away that they weren't getting methylene blue, was given eight milligrams per day, which is probably more in line with like what you and I and yeah. Vance and people in the esoteric health space take occasionally when we do take it. And th- funny enough, they had similar results. And if you go to like, uh, I don't know if Chris had this in his. 51 page overview um just checking quickly no he didn't but they had they had similar results they basically concluded the study of these alzheimer's trials that like the eight milligram dosage was just as effective um as the 69 to 250 milligram dose because it's you know it's a dose dependent curve and if you listen to gonzalez lima's lima he says that at a certain threshold of dosage it becomes pro-oxidant not antioxidant so that makes sense to me and it seems to be like that with um, – this isn't like what the, an isolated compound that does that. There are lots of sort of uh, medicinal things that at certain levels become pro-oxidant. Like that's not like a – it's actually very common. Like that's why I talk to people a lot. I mean that's why there's that saying that sometimes more is not better because – I mean even exi- – we talk about this a lot. Even exercise in uh, an extreme fashion is actually a negative uh, stressor. And so it's that's why, like in the podcast and stuff like that, we we really stress the um, the low dose component of that. And I didn't really hear any of that in this ten minute video, um, which I thought was interesting because that's normally in the community how it's discussed, at least from what people we've talked to. Yeah, it's imperative, and uh, I think Chris knows that. And some of the other studies he have was definitely low dose but this alzheimer's study is not low dose but it showed that even the placebo which was low dose had the same effects and again they had initial improvements so if you look at the chart here let me pull it up it's uh uh, it's up further it's uh they they it was six to 15 months so they actually had like an initial improvement but then after you know a certain period of time, it kind of just like plateaued. 
Yeah, and then they started getting more and more dropout. Like this was an extremely long study, and all of the mouse rat model studies were, you know, acute dosages, very short amounts. So to me, again, this says you shouldn't take methylene blue for 15 months straight, which is a good thing. You don't need to take it that long. You could probably take it for a much shorter period of time and cycle on and off, which most health practitioners I personally know that recommend it to their clients always cycle on and off. And even Vance said he would recommend, even if you're like severely brain injured, to go 30 days and 30 days off. So that's one. And then the dropouts, uh, a lot of them were from urinary um, issues, which we know methylene blue treats UTIs because it builds up in your bladder as you're excreting it because you can't synthesize methylene blue. You just pee it out. That's why it turns your pee blue. But if you're taking it every day at 250 milligrams per day, it's basically nuking probably all the bacteria in your bladder, which could maybe lead to, you know, bladder issues um, after months of use. So to me, that's not a surprise. But I will say, you know, the falls, uh, you know, that is interesting. So we'll have to get into that. I want to go back. I think that for me covers the Alzheimer's study that maybe Chris missed this. But again, if you just open up the study right here hydromethylthionine derived from methylene blue. So it's not the same thing. So there's no way Chris didn't see that if he actually read the studies. So I'm kind of upset that he didn't mention this or he purposefully chose to ignore this fact. And this is one that Dr. Gonzalez Lima was adamant about. So and that's, that's my, I don't know what you think. No, I totally agree. I mean, like, it's kind of a big thing to have. I mean, there's no way in my mind that someone as thorough as Chris Masterjohn would have missed that component like it, it would have behooved him to just mention even just mention the dosage amount because even he must know that predominantly like i mean nobody's going to be taking like 250 milligrams of this a day um you know what i mean unless they're buying those giant packs of the ones that are used for fish tanks the giant gallon ones. yeah and the it's only problem like, it has is in his guide he just says methylene blue like straight up but it's not and yeah, maybe and actually, thinks... what you brought up, what you brought up about the the form is actually and hugely important. There's no way he didn't know that. Well, maybe he doesn't think it's important. Again, he knows biochemistry way more than I do. But for me, I I respect Gonzalez Lima's opinion, and fundamentally, I know even when you change a compound, you have one electron. You're changing the bonding structure. You're changing a lot of how it functions. So, um, or yeah. So if it if it is a more reduced form. Um, it's a different compound. So that's my thoughts. But why don't we go back to what he was saying earlier as well, um, which is kind of about it's good if you have dysfunctional mitochondria. It's bad if you don't. Large as the increase that you get when you short circuit a block in the respiratory chain, you get more ATP. But the decrease in ATP that you get when you short circuit a healthy respiratory chain is as large as the increase that you get when you short circuit a broken respiratory So here, chain. I wasn't able to get access to the study, unfortunately. Um, I was curious on the dosage. But basically, if you have functional, fully functional mitochondria, the study said that you're getting a decrease in ATP production from taking methylene blue. Again, I don't know what dosage. That was my biggest question. I wasn't able to read. But he had in this section 
two more studies, which I was able to read, and this one of them he mentioned right here. In the reported rate of injuries from falls, animals were given the complex four inhibitor sodium azide. The sodium azide caused amnesia, and methylene blue improved memory even above and beyond control rats. However, when they looked at the effects in other parts of the brain, methylene blue had a variety of effects that included a dramatic decrease in the functional connectivity of the visual motor loop. So this is really interesting because basically it, the studies show that methylene blue improved amnesia. So it solved the problem, but then they shared how it affected other regions of the brain. And Chris, of course, it's harping on that, showing that it actually lowered cytochrome C oxidase complex four activity. Um, and he apparently like reached out to the authors of the study, even though it was 10 years ago, they didn't answer, no surprise, um, because they had, con they had said that the reason for this was that methylene blue helped reconfigure the respiratory chain as like a positive thing. And as a result, there's, you know, lower activities in certain regions, um, which is interesting because it actually shows that there's better memory than the control group with taking methylene blue after taking something that causes amnesia. So you get amnesia and then it's better after taking methylene blue, which is pretty like incredible. So I don't know what you thought about this. I have some very technical things that I've been thinking about, but I'm, I'm curious what you think just first glance. Well, I mean, there's just so much nuance. I think he's kind of trying to go for the, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the two hour version of the video. So I don't know how much nuance he actually put into the the thing. I know you read the 51-page document, so maybe you can self-correct me on some of that. But it, it just sort of like seems like he was kind of, I don't want to say going for the throat, but it, it sounds like he like lacked some of the, I don't know, I, I, don't want, I feel like he whitewashed it a little bit um, because he's not talking about, like, I, as this video goes on, you'll see he sort of talks about, like, basically, if you're healthy, like, you shouldn't use this. And he says, actually, towards the end of, the, end of this video that there are some practical applications uh, potentially for it. Um, but, like, he, it, I think his great overview was sort of, like, the, 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 the downsides outweigh the benefits. And I don't know if I agree with that, specifically living in a modern environment when we're, like, subjected to huge amounts of stressors now. Does that mean you take it perpetually? Probably not. But it's just one of those things. And we can sort of talk about, too, at the end of our experiences using it. Because I know you have used it quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's 100% true. And before we get to that, I want to highlight a few things about totally. like these studies. Because I want to get into the nomenclature so of reconfiguring. So here in his guide, he said the authors claimed adaptive reconfiguration of the respiratory chain that's why there was um you know memory improvement despite um the connectivity of of the mtl the the medial temporal lobe and, and that vi visual motor uh loop which methylene blue decreased that's connect that connectivity to me you know there is some adaptiveness going on and it's just complex, right? Like you're saying. So here it just sparked my interest of things I've been learning about here. He goes on to see, say overall complex one could be blocked by poisons like metformin and berberine. But when you hear, um, and, and then other like fatty acids can be used dis 
proportionally um, to help reroute that to complex two. And that's what I'm going to say. It's, it's a lot more nuanced than we think. So he calls metformin and berberine a, a poison, mm-hmm. but if you have blood sugar issues, diabetes, these could be life-saving compounds. And I'm not a fan of metformin. Berberine is actually a natural occurring compound. Yep. And it just goes into something I, I've been reading about, which is actually like reverse electron transport and reactive oxygen species signaling. And this gets very complex, and there's not a lot of research on this, and the stuff that's out there is very new. But it led me to this study, like I was reading last week, um, it kind of made a conclusion about fatty acid oxidation and adaptation in the mitochondrial respiratory chain. And here they use metformin as an example. So remember, Chris Master John saying metformin's a poison to complex one. Yeah. Here, rhodione and metformin are compared. They both are inhibiting complex one. And rhodione is that first study that he mentioned that's kind of like poisoning and inhibiting. And then they use methylene blue to um, alleviate that. But rhodione, rhodinone, sorry, I'm probably pronouncing this completely wrong, um, <laughs> helps or causes things like Parkinson's. So it's like yeah. a clear, very toxic thing where metformin is used to treat diabetes like pretty successfully. And, and here the paper, he's arguing in the grand scheme of reactive oxygen species signaling that maybe the positive effects of metformin are caused by the inhibition of complex one, which then triggers a reactive oxygen species signal through reverse electron transport. So to me, what I've concluded and gone down this rabbit hole then is when situations like fatty, high fatty acid oxidation from, say, being in ketosis, um, hypoxic environment, your mitochondria actually completely change form and they can form things called super complexes, which mm. are basically they're rearranging the complexes to be more efficient for whatever environment you're in. So this guy's basically arguing um, that when you bypass or inhibit the first complex, you get a reverse electron transport from complex two to one, and that's a signal, and you get more reactive oxygen species, which people would say is a bad thing, yeah. but it's a signal It's a signal to reform and rearrange the respiratory chain. It's a signal for that it's a could be potentially a hypoxic environment. It's a signal that you could potentially have a bacterial infection to your immune system. Obviously, if this signal and ROS is like out of control and way too high, that's bad. But yeah. it just shows that there's a lot of nuance in our mitochondrial function, and that should not be overlooked. So this and I'm, am I saying that this is what's going on with methylene blue? No, I have no idea actually. But it sounds like some of these authors are arguing for adaptive reconfiguration. And I would say it would be kind of unwise to dismiss that as an actual thing because it is something that the mitochondria does given the environment that it's in. So methylene blue and maybe even the fact that it's producing less ATP we know that ATP is not the end-all, be-all of energy that we think it is. So there's a lot yeah. more going on here than maybe Chris or maybe anybody knows. And I would say being completely dismissive of it, it maybe is unwise. However, yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. I, and I think, it's, I think it's important to be comfortable saying stuff like that because I feel like there's sort of like this absolutist – um, mentalities in some of the communities that are like that. And I feel like it's sort of a disservice. There's nothing wrong in saying, like, you don't know 
the whole story. I mean, like you said, like some of the studies on this are like so relatively new or like lack yeah. Yeah. nuance. It's like we can't really say. But what we can say is that there are some like crazy therapeutic effects um, that have been yes. shown. Um, yes. So to dismiss that, too, is sort of like a bit naive, in my opinion. Yeah. So and, and it's like here, it's like 5.6 fold increase in falls. You know, that's compared to the placebo, which was actually the, the proper dosage. So maybe yeah. if you compared that to a, a real control, it might not be as high. That's just an example. But none of these studies, these studies are all flawed. Well, the Alzheimer's studies are not even using methylene blue. So they're flawed. Yeah. The ones that he's citing showing that it does harm when your mitochondria are fine, it's more complex than we probably realize. But it's still showing, and Chris agrees, that it is improving mitochondrial function when there is a block in the respiratory chain or there is an issue. And I think that's undebatable. So to me, that's my takeaway. Um, I wouldn't use this every day. I would not use it at high dosage. If I had dysfunctional mitochondria, which I don't know if he talked about ways you can test that. I may have missed that, but it's pretty telling for me if you're not feeling optimal, if you're in a high non-native EMF environment, high toxic artificial light environment, if you're traveling, if you're sick, yeah. we know it's like antiviral, anti-COVID. Um, it could be something that could be very beneficial, but it's at the end of the day, it's a medicinal compound. So treat it as such. 100%. And and just to add to that too, is like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the takeaway. And I, I really want that message too, to be, to be as uh, before we continue is like super context dependent. And I think that's just one of those things that just like I try to say in podcasts all the time, but like you need to look at your situation and not just what the person on video is saying, because we're not the same people, you know what I mean? And we don't have the same load, but what we can say is that if you live in the modern environment, your load is like your toxic load is like super high every day. So it may behoove you to look at it as a potential, like a buffer, but especially with all these things, it's like, if you don't have the fundamentals down, like, what does it really matter anyways? Sure. It's helpful. Could move the needle a little bit, but I'll let us play the video instead of me ranting. Yeah. And it's just funny here looking like on the sidebar here, it's like how to become limitless, take methylene blue. Like that's not the point here. Like I disagree with that completely. I think that's clickbaity. I think that's kind of bullshit, but yeah. you know, it can help you improve cognitive function from mitochondrial dysfunction that you've obtained through that modern lifestyle that you're talking about. So again, yeah, I think it's important, but I don't know where we stopped. Maybe it was like seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially tissue adhesions, 12 milligrams per kilogram body weight, two times a day for three days to treat malaria and disc injections for discogenic back pain. And internally or locally applied or injected in conjunction with phototherapy against superficial infections and skin cancer. Methylene blue is very effective as a topical disinfectant. Methylene blue inhibits nitric oxide synthase, and this makes it potentially beneficial in cases where nitric oxide is elevated. Vasodilatory headaches may be one example of that. And one more well-established example is priapism, which is the prolonged erection of the penis. Yeah, the nitric oxide yeah. story is a bit – is interesting. So I would yeah. say nitric oxide in general has a lot of many beneficial use cases, but also you don't want it to be 
something in excess either. And you can well, there are different types of nitric oxide, right? There's different types of nitric oxide synthesis. So that's the enzyme that's synthesizing nitric oxide. So there's like um, ENOS, which is like endothel endothelial, which is the main one. I believe there's a neuronal one. And then uh, INOS, which I forget what that stands for. But um, yeah, so it's inhibiting that, which is a bit more downstream. But everything that I've seen from methylene blue, it's, it's not too concerning. Um, but again, it's something you might want to dive deeper into. Chris kind of glazes over it here so we won't go too much deeper into it either. Respiratory change disorder characterized by a single complex not working relative to the others. Methylene blue could be considered as an experimental therapy. I would first rule out any nutritional deficiencies, especially those of riboflavin, CoQ10, or copper. It's funny because he just he's a nutrition guy. Yeah. And he's just like right back to that. So I, it's I just his wheelhouse. Was, it's his wheelhouse. He knows like so much about it. I think it's great. But I think as we know, it's there's way more going on than uh, diet and nutrition. And For sure. What what does he say? He talks about some B vitamins like riboflavin. Yeah, I he basically goes into he basically goes into the different like complexes and sort of like he goes back to this the chain at the beginning that he was talking about about where methylene blue sort of like block or if this area is blocked, methylene blue does this with electrons or whatever he goes back to that and says like listen you can do that with b2 or if you have an mm -hmm. issue in in this part of the chain you need to look at b2 or you need to look at copper for this part of the thing um so it kind of goes back to his sort of uh nutritional like blueprint stuff that he's worked on and has on his website which i think is all valuable but what i like like what you said it's sort of like even within that there's so much environmentally speaking that is going on with those things that it's like it's simply not like I just don't look at it as simply you're you're just you're missing 100 milligrams of B2 a day. Well, I would be asking. I, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading Toxic Legacy, which I, I told you to read on oh, Glyphosate, yep. and uh, Dr. Stephanie Sneff highlights how we produce more B vitamins in our gut from microbacteria, microbiome, than what we ingest. Didn't and that's that. what I have with Didn't issue know that, just. People. Yeah, and that's what I have with issue on a side note with the MTHFR crowd is most people actually have an MTHFR mutation, but why is it a problem? Because of our environment, not because of the mutation necessarily. And it's not necessarily that you need freaking bajillion uh, methylated B vitamins to surpass that. And sometimes that can make it worse. So, yeah. nuance. Yeah, exactly. So let's finish this out here. And then I would use a MitoSwap Plus test to see if there are any defects in the nutritionally replete state in specific complexes of the mitochondrial respiratory. So I don't know if you looked into this. I did not. Mito swab plus test. I'm assuming this is kind of like a mitochondrial like test that you can do. That's uh, I'm just going to show this. I think it's like a functional test. So it analyzes complex one, two, three, and four of the mitochondrial electron transport chain. Okay, this is really interesting. Maybe we should do this and like see what it says. I just yeah. don't understand for me where where are you like what mitochondria are you testing? Like heteroplasmy yeah. is the rate of mutant mitochondria. It's not, you know, something that's consistent. Like you don't have a hundred percent consistent mitochondria like all the time. If you get on a plane, you're gonna have some 
you know, higher rates of heteroplasmy. And then you're going to go through like mitophagy and apoptosis. And, and it's just going to be a cycle depending on your state. And then, yeah, maybe you have more dysfunctional mitochondria in your heart or than your brain or vice versa, or I don't know. So to me, it seems like I'm kind of skeptical, but maybe it's something we should do. If I'd be down to do it. It's not so much that I'm skeptical as much as expensive. I'm looking at it like I do any other test and that it's like a snapshot of whatever's going on in the moment because so much stuff affects everything. It's like when you measure testosterone, it could be different like week to week, you know. It's like it's yeah, just like exactly. one of those things. And it's the same with uh, I always get questioned about the gut like microbiome testing is like your gut your micro like your your gut lining gets replaced like every week or something. So like you're you're swapping all this stuff and there's all these things you just can't put anything set in stone I don't think. And uh, so think you, have you have to, to look be, at uh, it that way. You might have to be a physician. Well, maybe we can get around that somehow. That's interesting. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical but whatever. Maybe maybe he thinks it's good. Methylene blue may help in any of them, but its primary promise is with complex four disorders, and its secondary promise is in complex three disorders. This is because high-dose riboflavin has some chance of helping complex one and two disorders, and regardless of the effective riboflavin, altering macros, either towards fat and leucine to treat a complex one disorder or towards carbohydrates to treat a complex two disorder are likely to pay off big time. Near infrared in the 700 to 1,000 nanometer So again, this just goes help. back to everything that I just talked about yeah. and reverse electron transport. So he talks about, oh, you might have a complex two disorder, so you should eat more carbs. You have a complex one disorder, you should eat more fat. It's completely context dependent on what season it is where you live what's your environment like you're supposed that's the mitochondria that's not a disorder and that's why i think these tests are probably bullshit because that's not a disorder that's reformation yeah. of the mitochondrial respiratory chain to be more efficient to burn fat for fuel if that's what's dictated in your environment if it's winter in utah and wyoming where we are yeah. you're gonna have a down-regulated complex one so you don't and need to eat more carbs and that's where, you should I mean, not be eating carbs yep it goes back, and and the thing, I mean, there's just so much in that. We'll probably unpack it at, at another time. But yeah, there's just <laughs> there's so much lack of. It's just it's so myopically viewed as like this. He's like, I, I love the guy. Don't get me wrong, he's great. Um, but his blinders set on the one thing, and he's ignoring like the rest of the 360 degree angle that is health. You know. So how can you have a mitochondria test? What is it comparing to? Who is it I don't, comparing I to? I really don't think you can have one that tells you anything that's like extremely meaningful. What is their haplotype? Where is their zip code? Yeah, it's hilarious. I, I really don't think that like we, from a scientific perspective, we even know what we're looking at yet with that stuff to even no. say what you should do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's something that's highly suspect, but you know, again, it's all context, people. And you go on Twitter, and there's a million health influencers that live in Central America or Mexico, yep. and they're like, "The more carbs I eat, the better I feel." I was like, "Yeah," because like that makes sense. Movies twelve every day. Yeah, yeah, for that environment, and they're you know complex one. They're getting more NADH. They're they're pumping yep. that out. But if it's winter in Wyoming, like yeah, do that, and and you'll see how your thyroid feels. Exactly. With complex three disorders, 
and high-dose vitamin C and MK4 can also help. Molybdenum and sulfur amino acids, including methionine, are also likely to help. However, a complex four disorder has a lot less that you can do about it. It may require restricting protein, it may require restricting fat, and if methylene blue can help short circuit that disorder, I think it's probably a primary thing to try. The doses should be a slow titration up from eight milligrams to a maximum of 250 milligrams, judging especially by home measurements of glucose, ketones, and lactate with the goal to get lactate down into the lower end of the 0.5 to 1.5 millimoles per liter range, except, of course, during exercise. What's your experience with methylene blue? Did this change your mind in any way? Let me know. Um, did this change your mind, Ryan? <laughs> Not really. There's just too much, there's too much like holes um of uh in holes in the in the in the argument not necessarily that like what he says isn't necessarily like a thing that's true but he's he just left a lot out like it, it was very like the, i think the i think it would be very decisive if you knew nothing about methylene blue like if, if this was like your introduction to methylene blue you may come out of it with a very specific opinion but if you look into it more um Pretty much none of what he said in this video applies to the way that I've used it or people I've spoken to in the community that use it in almost like zero way. Um, so that's sort of like what I walk away with is that it wasn't useful for my situation at all. And that's like what I want to go back to is like you got to look at it context dependent. Like you're not going to take 250 milligrams of this thing. Like, you know, what I mean, or, or even like 60 milligrams. I did talk to someone that was taking like something like i care i don't know what the milligram dosage was but it was like 20 drops and i was like that's all that's like way too many drops every day <laughs> like don't it um, might yeah it might not be the meraki is only five milligrams for a whole dropper so i don't know how many drops in a whole dropper well that's that's what i'm saying too is like it's a lot of blanket you don't know the full context um but it's like like what you said the whole dropper is five milligrams that's like all you need really and i i wouldn't even do that every day um because like, yeah it's the idea interesting is... the, the alzheimer's study i'm gonna try and pull it out real quick but they they found um literally right at eight or six to eight milligrams was like the dose dependent threshold i yep. think so i'm gonna just share this real quick yeah so you see here the dosage a day is at the top and it kind of starts to rise right at like five to eight so that like you're saying like it seems like five to ten to me is like basically the sweet spot because then you're getting you're not getting any more benefits really by taking more um in this study and uh what yeah you don't need to take more and five to ten milligrams and and it just it's another example of another compound that more is not necessarily better and yeah that's the way that you need to look at it i mean that's I think that's just like a, a human nature thing of like put it like excess everything, but that doesn't mean it's like doing sauna 10 hours a day is not more beneficial than doing it like an hour, like four days a week, probably probably is a net negative um, from an electrolyte perspective. If you're not like, like, so it's, yeah, look at it like in that way. And in my case, like I'm happier that it's that the data seems to reflect the low dose being like generally more therapeutic because that I don't need to like take a bunch of this stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, it tastes terrible anyway, so I don't yeah, I don't want to take eighty milligrams. But I, first off, I want to thank Chris Master John because this is a really good sure. 
it is a good in-depth overview. You spend a lot of time on this, put it all in one place. So it makes it easy for people to kind of research these studies. And um, it's overall, it's a cautious stance, conservative, which is good. Because I think whenever something, whenever a bunch of people are just like, oh, yeah, just take this, it's a miracle that, you know, 90% of the people don't even know how it works. I think there's been a lot more education recently, and we've been a part of that, which has been good. And that way, people actually fundamentally understand how methylene blue works instead of just listening to people like Ben Greenfield and, and taking it. Um, and I have taken too much personally. Like, I remember a few years back when I was still, like, kind of concussed, I remember taking too much, and then I would just feel, like, not good, a little nauseous, actually. Mm. And I think it just, yeah, I, I reached that pro-oxidant threshold. And it probably wasn't that much. It was probably, like, 20 milligrams, um, not even a lot. So I would say this. You know, Chris is taking a conservative stance. He's looking at the research at face value, and he's not really digging deeper. The fact that he ignored the Alzheimer's studies, not actually using methylene blue and instead using a derivative – to me is a bit ignorant and I'm curious, Chris, why you chose to ignore that, but the dosage and then also the time, the fact that nobody should be taking this for 15 months straight. Nobody should be really taking anything for 15 months straight. Um, I think, um, but then there, apparently there is, you know, Gonzalez Lima did mention that, that people who literally have fully dysfunctional mitochondria do take this every day for like the rest of their life. And, haven't had major issues so again it depends on what's wrong with you um really but if you're an everyday person who's just trying to be a little bit more optimal in health you likely have some dysfunctional mitochondria use methylene blue when you need it not all the time it shouldn't be a crutch nothing should be a crutch and it might not even be helpful as a crutch but know that we don't understand everything biology is complex and even though methylene blue has been around for 150 years and is safe, it's not something to be taken every day, even if you have a brain injury. So that's my takeaway. I think it's really fascinating. And I think just getting into the mitochondrial adaptation and reformation science to me is really cool. Yeah, I love it. And uh, yeah, I want to thank uh, Chris too, because like, it's good to have more people talking about this stuff. Um, and hopefully this was sort of uh, gave people a little more of another perspective to take that in on yeah so if you guys want we maybe make another video or might just have this standalone to our shorter overview that i did on methylene blue plus our podcast with vance from meraki and and we'll see we'll uh see if this gets well received i might just write a response on substack or something uh to get Do this it. written down to kind of chris's stance or a thread so stay tuned for that and yeah more coming on kind of mitochondrial reformations and and things like that i think this is fascinating i think it's important for people to be educated on the importance of contact seasonality in diet and light environment so thanks for tuning in to another episode of decentralized radio we'll see you next time